But I can't forget one sentence that he uttered in the course of those lectures. He said, do not neglect the revival dimension in your ministry. The book of Acts, chapter 1, verse 1. In the first book, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up, after he had given commands through the Holy Spirit to the apostles whom he had chosen. To them he presented himself alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them during forty days and speaking about the kingdom of God. And while staying with them, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, You heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Verse 6. So when they had come together, they asked him. Hello and welcome to another edition looking at the book of Acts and these opening chapters. And I stop halfway through verse 6 before they ask their question because the theme of this episode is coming together as the people of God. Verse 6, so when they had come together. And then a little bit later, we read in verse 15, in those days, Peter stood up among the brothers. Brothers, The company of persons was in all about 120. And down then in chapter 2, verse 1, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Coming together as the people of God. Last episode, as we, I was uh, looking at the start, the opening five or so verses of Acts chapter 1, I mentioned uh, the revival on the Isle of Lewis. And uh, I, referred, I didn't get round to actually uh, referring directly to the book, but the book that I was looking at is called Sounds from Heaven by Colin and Mary Peckham speaking about the revival of 1949 to 1952. And uh, as I was, uh, <clears throat> I've been browsing this book uh, recently. I've also been preaching on the book of uh, Genesis, chapter 18, and I ha- as I happen to be uh, reading through a commentary of Dale Davis, who I always enjoy reading, I was uh, quite surprised to see that uh, he, in referring to the uh, prayer of Abraham in Genesis 18, uh, speaking about God moving our prayers, that he draws us to pray, Uh, Dale Davis himself then went to refer to the very book that I'd been uh, reading, Sounds from Heaven, uh, the Isle of Lewis, an illustration of prayer there. Well, I'm not looking at prayer per se, but I do want to share with you what... uh, people were doing at that time in the 1950-51 period when revival hit this little island of Lewis. And here are some quotes from page 99 in the book. On Sunday night, every available seat in the town hall was occupied. I never in my life witnessed such crowds in the highlands. The people came from all over Harris. Every bit of standing room was taken up last night with the pulpit steps filled. I am addressing two and sometimes three meetings each night with a final meeting in some home to help the anxious. Uh, These are the reports of uh, Duncan Campbell, the preacher. P. 
People are walking over snow-covered roads, many of them a distance of three miles, and walking back home in the early hours of the morning. Meetings have been held in churches, halls, schools, and on one night in a shooting lodge. On the 30th of April 1952, Campbell wrote, One of the elders assured me last night that every person on the island who could be out was in the church. And in November 52, I preached three times between 5 and 9pm to a crowded church. One church was so crowded that church chairs had to be brought in from nearby houses, and even then crowds were outside. What an extraordinary experience it must have been to be on the Isle of Lewis 70 years ago in the midst of that revival. But I note it here because we see that meeting together is at the very heart of the revival. Uh, It's one of the characteristics of revival. And here in the book of Acts, we have this emphasis on the fact that they met together. Acts chapter 1, verse 6, So when they had come together, in those days Peter stood up among the brothers, verse 15, 120 of them. And then, of course, uh, the great revival, if you like, uh, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Well, 70 years ago, the Isle of Lewis Uh, I note the 70 years because uh, this Sunday I'm uh, now recording on the 5th of February and tomorrow 6th of February 2022 marks the 70 years since uh, our sovereign Queen Elizabeth uh, came to the throne. But how things have changed since 1952, not merely on the Isle of Lewis, I don't know much about that, but in society and across the world uh, through those seven decades. And I, in this uh, reflection on Acts chapter 1, want to uh, share some words from a book called Called to be Church by Anthony B. Robinson and Robert Wall. It's described as the Book of Acts for a New Day and is a a commentary uh, that these uh, two have put together. Uh, Robert Wall is the the biblical scholar and the one who uh, goes through exegeting, uh, exposing the text, uh, commenting. He's written himself a commentary on Acts and uh, this is a development in a different form. And he has joined with Anthony B. Robinson, who is a a pastor and teacher, but uh, he describes himself as uh, being in a mainline or uh, liberal uh, uh, theological uh, bent, shaped by the Reformed tradition of Calvin and Edwards, uh, Jonathan Edwards, of course, linking with the revival theme, Uh, Robert Wall has his teaching shaped by the teachings of John and Charles Wesley. Again, uh, another uh, revival link there. Tony Robinson has a a terrific introduction uh, analysing the relevance of Acts in our own day and age, in our very individualistic day and age. And I'm going to uh, come to what he has to say in a moment. But first, uh, let's... 
just hear what uh, Robert Wall has to say, giving a little bit of an overview of uh, the chapter and also importantly uh, noting the link with Luke 22. And he notes here in Acts chapter 1 that the central moment of the narrative is Jesus' prophecy concerning the Holy Spirit in verses 4 and 5, whose arrival in the holy city portends the portends the restoration of Israel, verse 6, and empowers the mission of the church. According to Acts, the hope of Israel's restoration and the mission of the church are integral features of the last days, of salvation's history soon to be inaugurated by God during Pentecost. And this is where we look to Acts chapter 2. He goes on, the departure of the glorified Jesus into heaven concludes the first stage of his messianic mission, and it also creates the circumstances that require an apostolic succession. Here, of course, he's referring particularly to verses 15 to 26 of chapter 1, the second half of chapter 1. But this succession from Messiah to his, his apostles is not without problems. The messianic community left behind gathers for prayer, verse 14, to wait for God to act on Jesus' promise of the Spirit. We note that the gathering includes only 11 apostles. And uh, Robert Wall asked the question, will God's salvation go forward without the requisite 12? And here he quotes from Luke 22, verse 30, to sit on thrones judging the 12 tribes of Israel. And uh, that really just gives an overview of uh, the chapter where it's going. But I return to verse 14, and he later comments about verse 14. I'll read the verse. All these, with one accord, were devoting themselves to prayer, together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Wall comments, The disciples wait together and constantly devoted themselves to prayer. It is typical in Acts that true believers gather together for prayer and worship to wait on God to act graciously and powerfully at critical moments of their history. And then he lists uh, about a dozen examples from the book of Acts where such uh, gathering and waiting and prayer occurs. And he comments, This prayerful waiting on the Lord not only characterizes the church of Acts, it also underscores the implicit importance of Pentecost when God will deliver the Holy Spirit to them as promised. And so we see here that the book of Acts uh, is all about the gathering, the church. It's just part and parcel of the nature of the Christian life. And I note this because uh, there is a, Tony Robinson, in his introduction, has uh, a, a brilliant analysis of our contemporary context. And he begins, over the past two decades, there has been an explosion of interest in Jesus. Now he's writing about 2006, so uh, the past two or three decades uh, from now. Uh, and he talks about this great explosion, but also... Uh, that there has been a fascination with spirituality. And as my old college lecturer said, we've become less and less religious, but more and more spiritual. 
And so Jesus is kind of part of that. And uh, Robinson has that quote, uh, distinction that many people make these days, I am spiritual but not religious. And it probably has its as its subtext and meaning, I am spiritually interested, engaged, but I am not a part of a church or congregation or any organized religious community. And so here is this uh, flooding of books about Jesus and spirituality on our bookshelves, but the section on church remains puny by comparison. And uh, so Robinson's observing this, uh, this change, and what a contrast it is if we think back seven decades, not just two, seven decades ago, 1952, the Isle of Lewis, this enormous gathering together in the church, and now here we are, uh, very much running along this kind of individual spirituality. And it is a stark contrast to the nature of revival. Uh, why does it happen? Well, all kinds of reasons. Uh, Robinson notes, we sh should probably not be surprised that Jesus has proved rather more fascinating and compelling than the church, but the contrast does seem telling. And he's reminded of the uh, English romantic poet Percy Shelley, who commented this. Shelley said, I could believe in Christ if he did not drag along with him that leprous bride of his, the church. Well, that's a, uh, a one that really hits home, doesn't it? If you're someone who delights or is part of the church. And uh, Robinson goes on to, the to note that the contemporary focus on Jesus and the fascination with spirituality may be particularly congenial to a culture that often emphasizes the individual at the expense of the community. And certainly here in 2022, about 16 years on from when he is writing, it has only got more and more like that. Uh, he goes on, it seems to fit a society that encourages personal, even private spirituality while spurning the difficult work of forming and sustaining communities and institutions. And uh, then he gives the illustration uh, of this privatized faith uh, from uh, that Woody Allen film, Hannah and Her Sisters, uh, one which I think was produced around the 1980s. Uh, I certainly enjoyed it myself. And he comments about the time where uh, Woody Allen uh, portrays a man racked by guilt and self-doubt, as he often does in his movies. And this man here decides to give Jesus a try. And we see him making a solo visit to a priest or pastor and then staggering away with an armload of books. He will approach Jesus individually through books. At no point in this character's attempt to become a Christian or at least a religious person do we see anything that looks like a community, anything that looks like church. Both spirituality and Christianity are portrayed as individual, even solitary interests. The contemporary fascination with spirituality and the interest in Jesus seem too often to fall short at just this point because they remain individual and personal pursuits, private and solitary. I think that is a word for our times. 
Of course, uh, the the biblical testimony is one which is uh, involves the individual and is uh, to be received uh, by the individual. But the whole point, and we see this being underlined in the book of Acts, is you are, as it were, as an individual drawn into the community of Christ. Uh, as Paul will put it elsewhere, Christ is the head, we are the body, and the church is his body. So when they had come together, we read in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were what? Individually at home, reading their books? No. They were all together in one place. Revival came in the Isle of Lewis. The Spirit moved. They were moved to prayer, to joy, the stories of what they were doing at 4 o'clock in the morning, praising at 1.30 a.m. and so on. Churches filled. They were together. To be the people of God, to be a Christian, is indeed to be part of his body, the church. Robinson, of course, is writing 15 years before COVID, the pandemic, hit us. But I looked him up online and found he had a blog site, and he's addressed this issue of church in uh, a recent article, only February the 1st uh, this year, that he's written, What's Tony Thinking? B-Y-O-B, or Why to Drop Online Church? And I share... Uh, what he's written there as we reflect on this notion of the, of the book of Acts uh, showing us that the early uh, believers, as Jesus uh, left them, they met together. What about us in February 2022? Why did he write BYOB, which normally means bring your own booze? Uh, because in this pandemic fog, he said, it for him stands for bring your own body. Bring your body to church and other places where people gather in community, of course, taking intelligent precautions. And he refers to an article, I think it was in the New York Times, by an Anglican uh, priest, uh, Tish Warren, who uh, was arguing that it's time for churches there to drop online services uh, he notes that it was, uh, and well, they both note that during the most dangerous phase of the pandemic, uh, having such services was completely apt and appropriate, and it was done well. And we, uh, in effect, give thanks to God uh, for uh, that time. And certainly that's been our experience here at St. Stephen's Bellevue Hill in Sydney, Australia. But uh, Warren argues that Christianity is an embodied, not a disembodied faith. Uh, here's a part of what she says. For all of us, even those who aren't church goers, bodies with all the risk, danger, limits, mortality and vulnerability that they bring are part of our deepest humanity, not obstacles to be transcended through digitization. They are humble and humbling gifts to be embraced. Online church, while it was necessary for a season, diminishes worship and us as people. We seek to worship wholly, 
with heart, soul, mind and strength, and embodiment is an irreducible part of that wholeness. Uh, and uh, then she goes on, noting that uh, that well-known verse of the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us, full of grace and truth. And uh, refers to the sacraments, baptism and communion are embodied, washing and water on one hand and eating and bread and wine on the other. And the time of, uh, goes on a little bit further, the time of digitized worship was a blessing, but it is also now for us a test. Will the church go with the increasingly digitized modern or postmodern world where more and more of our interactions are disembodied and distanced? Or will our embodied life together in sometimes messy community stand as a kind of protest against the isolating, distant tendencies of a life lived online? Well, why make such a big deal about all this? Why not just do both, asks Robinson. Uh, there will be a lot of pressure on churches and clergy for that option, but uh, the answer Warren gives is this, and I quote, uh, One might ask, why not have both? Why not meet in person uh, with COVID precautions in place, but also continue to offer the option of a live stream service? And the answer uh, she gives, and uh, Robinson particularly highlights, is this, because offering church online implicitly makes embodiment elective. It presents in-person gatherings as something we can opt in or out of with little consequence. It assumes that embodiment is more of a consumer preference, like whether or not you buy hardwood floors, than a necessity, like whether or not you have shelter. Well, as uh, Robinson uh, notes, who could have imagined that this might be where churches would make their stand against the contemporary gods of convenience and consumerism? And this is something the pandemic has brought before us and something that we are called to, uh, to be prayerfully considering. And I consider it as I look at the book of Acts and I hadn't particularly had this notion in my mind as I thought about Acts chapter 1, but as I've read it, I've noted it, uh, it, it comes up that the book of Acts is all about church, all about gathering, about the meeting together, and uh, for us to be faithfully waiting for the return of the ascended Christ, our Lord Jesus, our Saviour, we are called to be a people who continue to meet together. And it seems to me, as he draws near, is, uh, is characteristic of a revival, as we saw in the revival on Lua, of uh, on the island of Lewis, Isle of Lewis, uh, back 70 or so years ago. Meeting together was just part and parcel of what the Spirit was doing in their midst as they uh, worshipped the Lord. And so there's a, a challenge for us in our own day to be uh, taking on once more uh, the exhortation of Hebrews chapter 10, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, of course, I might add 
uh, as uh, Robinson said, what about the people who can't get to church any longer? And uh, the point being that this is something the church has been dealing with for a long time and can do so again. Uh, when we visit, when I visit, take communion, share uh, with those, I open the scriptures, pray. Of course, the person who is sick or shut in can't and should not be neglected, not just for their sake, but for ours. But overall, for us, we are called to be a people meeting together to be the church. And so I am heartily in line with uh, Robinson's call. As we are called to be church, uh, let us uh, indeed not be relying on online church. We move out of the pandemic and be a people who meet together, as Hebrews exhorts us, all the more encouraging one another as we see the day drawing near.